I would invite to, you to turn with me to page 529 in your pew Bible, if you're using that, to Isaiah chapter 62, which is our reading for this morning. In a couple of minutes, Pastor Kevin is going to come forward and speak to us about the habits of longing, the idea of patience and of fasting as we wait. And I'm not sure what your week has been like, but I'm sure there's been a moment this week when you have longed to hear from God, when you have longed to have Him respond to the cries of your heart. And as we read this passage this morning, I would encourage you to take encouragement from this passage as Isaiah is encouraging Israel to continue crying out, to continue looking for God to fulfill the promises that He makes to us. Because God is faithful. And God will respond. He will fulfill the promises that he makes for us. Let us continue to cry out to our faithful father. Isaiah chapter 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, Never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies. And never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mark. Thanks to our team for leading us so far this morning. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Cornerstone, and if you are uh, new with us, um, I'd just like to add my welcome uh, to you, and uh, trust that this morning will be a great uh, time of worship for all of us. We are beginning a new series here at Cornerstone for this season in the church calendar uh, that's known as the season of Lent, which is really a time of preparation for Easter. It's the, uh, the number of weeks leading up to Easter where we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus and all that that means in our lives. And so this is a season of us preparing ourselves to celebrate um, that, great, uh, that great feast of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we're, um, this series that we're launching into is really a series on what are called, often known as the spiritual disciplines. 
as the, the, the disciplines, the habits of our lives that um, God often uses to form us, to shape us, to make us new, to change us so that we would know Him better. Now, uh, a few inter- introductory comments to, that, to this series, um, I think, are in order. Now, most Sundays, almost every Sunday that you would come and gather with Cornerstone, what we would do is we'd read the Scripture, and then what we would do is, into that particular passage, we would look in and dive in and see what God's saying to us in that particular Scripture passage. This, this series we're, is a little bit different in the sense that we are going to be looking more at the entire sweep of Scripture, and what does the Scripture say to us on this particular topic. And so in, in a sense, it's a bit more of a topical uh, sermon series than, um, than looking at one particular passage. The other, the other thing I need to say about this series is that at, uh, at our church, one of the core convictions that we have, one of the foundational things that we really anchor on is that we believe the scriptures are not primarily written about me uh, or you, And they're not primarily about what you must do, but that the scriptures primarily are about God and what he's done. That that the, the scriptures aren't written about you and what you need to do, although we do find our place in them and they do call us to certain things. The scriptures primarily are about God and what he's done, what he's accomplished for us. And so while we certainly call people to follow after Jesus... And, and, and ask for a response to what God has done. It is just that. It's a response to what he has already done for us. And in fact, uh, embracing more and more what he's already done for us. Embracing the gospel. Well, the good news is that God's done something. And he's done something for you. And, and he, in the response, the discipleship or the, the response of following after Jesus is just that. And so... Um, when you hear like the call to follow God or the call to do something, um, our religious hearts, and our hearts are prone to be religious and, and, and to earn and to um, you know, get our act together, what we often hear is, well, I got to get my act together. I got I to gotta start praying more. I got to start reading my Bible more. I got to follow Jesus. I got to be a better follower of Jesus. And we, we think actually that's kind of putting it a little backwards and, and saying that, what we don't want you to hear, especially in this series on disciplines, and it's going to be a lot about stuff that we do and habits of our lives. What we don't want you to hear is, oh, here's another, here's another checklist item that you need to do for God to love you more. We believe in a life of grace that's a response to what God has done for us in Jesus. And so following Jesus is simply a response to what he's already done for us, what he's accomplished in his life for us, in his teaching towards us, what he's accomplished in his death for us, and his resurrection, and his ascension, and his, his coming again. It's, we're all about Jesus and what he's done. And so we usually spend about 80% of our time talking about what God's done, and then 20% of our time talking about our response to that. We're kind of flipping that a bit this series. It's not an indication we've stopped believing in the gospel. It's not an indication we've stopped believing in what God's done. We're just looking in, in a, a series on training us to reshape our habits, to reshape our lives according to what we believe that God's already done for us. So what I don't want us to hear this in, in these next six weeks is, man, law upon law, requirement upon requirement, God's not going to love you unless you do these things, right? No, our response to God is, is just that. It's a response to his love, that he's loved us first. 
And that because he's loved us, because he's showered, showered grace on us, because he's accepted us, because he's adopted us, because he's given us his Holy Spirit, we then respond. So it's a series on training us to reshape our habits, to, to walk in the paths where God's promised to bless us. It's been said, you are what you continually do. You are what you continually do. Your habits have a shaping power to you. And this is a series on training. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Discipline yourself for godliness. See, it's, a, it's an instruction. It's a command to, that the Apostle Paul has given to his protege, Timothy. He's saying, discipline or train. Train yourself. Be disciplined. Like, take control of yourself for a purpose. And the purpose is godliness. Now, that's not a word that we would often use uh, too much. Uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Is that the, is that the saying? Um, but what is godliness? Godliness is uh, a being like God. Train yourself. Discipline yourself. Take, take control of yourself, Paul's saying, so that you'll be like Jesus. So you'll be like Jesus. You're like, wow, that sounds like a lot of, that's like, that's works. That's like, you got to get down to work. That sounds like a lot of effort and exertion. And, and, and that's true. And I love what, how Dallas Willard put it. Dallas Willard said that grace is opposed to earning. But grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. And so what we, are earning God's love, right? So when we say we believe in grace, in the grace of God, and we want to be a church that's centered around celebrating the grace of God in Jesus, um, that means that there's forgiveness, that we don't have to earn God's love. We don't have to overcome God's reluctance to, to shower love on him, us. We really only, all we have to do is lay hold of his willingness, that he's so willing, that he's a gracious God. He loves to overlook our sin and cover over our sin and, and, and forgive our sin. And so it's not about measuring up to his standards. That's that Jesus has measured up for us. He's lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died so that we can be received for Jesus' sake in friendship with God. But grace is opposed to... So grace is opposed to earning God's love, but it's not opposed to effort. Grace, in, in fact, is not opposed to effort at all. Um, grace, in fact, makes us active. Listen to this in... Um, I, meant, I forgot to put this on the screen. Sorry about that. In 1 Corinthians 15, I love how the Apostle Paul really makes that clear, that grace while it is opposed to earning, is not opposed to effort. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, is what I wrote down here. It says, um, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul's talking about his past a little bit, and he's like, man, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I... I used to kill Christians, and I was running far away from God. I was hostile to God. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. God's grace has made a difference in my life. Now I'm changed, I'm new, and, and I have new affections, and I have a new direction in my life because of God's grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm now an apostle. I'm, he says, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. You see that interplay right between effort and grace. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that grace had an impact on me. It changed me so that I worked harder than anyone. 
ah, but it wasn't really me. It was God's grace at work in me, right? So it's this interplay between grace and effort. And that's what the spiritual disciplines are all about. They're placing ourselves in the way that Jesus passes by, in the ways in which God has promised to bless us. And so I love the picture in Luke chapter 18 and 19. There's two guys that, uh, that hear that Jesus is passing a certain way. One of them is a, a blind man named Bartimaeus. And it says that Bartimaeus placed himself along the way that Jesus was passing by. And then just a little while later, there's another wee little man named Zacchaeus who um, hears that Jesus is coming and wants, a, wants a, an interaction with him, wants to at least see him. And so it says again, he placed himself... Uh, you know, along the path that Jesus was coming. I think that's a beautiful picture of the spiritual disciplines, about these habits of grace that we're talking about, that we're just placing ourselves along the path where Jesus is passing by. These are the paths that the Holy Spirit loves to run along and where he'll meet you and where he'll transform us and change us and allow us to experience his grace in new ways. And so... This is really based on the truth that our affections shape our actions. What we love shapes what we do, but it also works in reverse. That our actions have a power, and our habit, our habitual actions, have a power to shape our affections. It works both ways. That our affections are shaped by our actions and our habits, and also our habits have a shaping power on our love, on what we love most. So habits... These habits that we're talking about in this series are unimpressively mundane, but they are spectacularly potent by the Holy Spirit. And all for the end of godliness, of being like Jesus, of knowing and enjoying Jesus, the one who's embodied grace for us. So again, don't hear cold commands. Read your Bible more. Have a quiet time. Hear the invitation of grace. Hear the invitation of grace. Form habits that place yourself along the path where Jesus is passing by. You might be saying, hey, what's with the boat? Anyone, anyone thinking that? What's with the boat? Why a sailboat? I think a sailboat is a beautiful illustration of this, of this principle of God's grace and our, and our efforts and our disciplines, our habits. Um, I'm told that there are at least 60 working parts on, on a, a simple sailboat. There's, when you're a sailor, there is plenty of work to do. You will break a sweat. You need to stay attentive to the conditions. You need to stay attentive to what's going on in the boat and around the boat. You are, there's work to do. But no amount of elbow grease will control the tide or will bring the wind. Right? You can hoist the sail, but the wind can only make a sailboat go. But if you don't hoist hoist the sail, the wind will just pass right by, right? And you won't be moving. And so these disciplines are, in a sense, us hoisting, doing the work of training ourselves, of hoisting the sail so that the wind of the Holy Spirit can blow and move us. And so I don't want us to picture this series as us handing you a couple of oars and say, row harder. This, This series is us raising the sail learning habits, being trained and equipped in patterns of life that hoist the sail so that God's Holy Spirit can blow into the sail. So it's not a series about getting tired on the way to nowhere. It's a series on raising the sails 
so that God's spirit can take us to new places. And so we're starting with fasting. Fasting is um, uh, uh, a traditional uh, experience of Lent, right? So you've probably, most of us, when we think of Lent, we hear of, oh, I'm supposed to give up something for Lent, right? I give up chocolate. I give up Facebook. I give up those things that I don't really need. Um, and for some sort of reason, that's what I'm supposed to do. For In Lent, I'm supposed to give up something for Lent. So I want us to, and that's really an expression of what the Bible would call fasting. And so we are going to dig into what the scriptures say this morning. We're going to dig into what the scriptures talk and say to us about the discipline of fasting. Now, fasting has fallen on hard times among our overstuffed bellies. I don't know if you've ever heard, many, many of us have been like church folk for a long time. I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon on fasting. I've never preached one. Um, it's, it's not a common practice. It's like, in fact, if, I think if you were to picture, if I were to say, hey, picture in your mind someone who, who participates in fasting, that we would get like the picture of kind of like, um, we'd think someone pretty strange, right? Some, like some radical Christian. Like, I'm a Christian, but then there's, like, those really weird ones, right? That these guys, these guys take it so seriously that they fast. They're gaunt. They have no fun. There's no joy. They're just, like, whipping themselves on the back. Why would you give up food? What does that have to do with anything? Maybe that's what, that's what you think. I, lo- I came across this quote uh, by a guy named Cornelius Plantinga a Dutch dude like myself who said this, self-indulgence is the enemy of gratitude. Self-indulgence is the enemy of gratitude and self-discipline, usually it's friend and generator. Self-discipline is the friend and generator of gratitude. That is why gluttony is a deadly sin. The early desert fathers believed that a person's appetites are linked. Full stomachs and jaded palates Take the edge from our hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me say that again. Full stomachs and jaded palates take the edge from our hunger and thirst for righteousness. They spoil the appetite for God. Here's a definition of what fasting is. Fasting is a Christian's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. It's voluntary It's not like you're getting whipped on the back and saying, today you're fasting, whether you like it or not. And it's for Christians. If you're not a follower of Jesus, like we're not, the the scriptures don't call you to start fasting. What we we believe the scriptures call you to, to do is to explore the person of Jesus and put your faith in him and trust in him and begin to follow after him. It's for Christians. It's voluntary. And it's an abstinence from food. Now, like, it might be Facebook for you. Maybe there's a reason why you can't um, fast from food. And so, there are, you know, many uh, Christian giants of the past have said, you know, maybe you fast from something, some other good and necessary thing for, the, for that purpose instead of food. Now, I think there's got to be a good reason. 
Because all of the fasting that's described in the scriptures are, is, is the abstinence from food. And so that's what we're going to mostly be talking about today. But if there's some medical reason, if there's a really good reason, and it's not like, hey, when I fast, I get hungry. Like, that's not the reason. That's kind of the point. It's kind of the point. It's not like, but I really like food. Or um, there's got to be a good reason. But there are medical reasons why you shouldn't be fasting. And so maybe for you, uh, the discipline and the regular participation in fasting is giving up some other necessary thing for a season. For a spiritual purpose. Right? It's not self-flagellation. It's not to just be miserable and grumpy and hangry all the time. Right? It's, there's a spiritual purpose for fasting. There's a spiritual purpose. And so it's not just like, hey, I'm fasting, and so I'm expecting God to do something. It's, no, it's for a stated and an intentional purpose. That I am fasting for this reason, because I want to see God move in this way. I want, I want this to happen this spiritual thing, that's what I want. And so that's why I'm fasting. It's not a generic kind of out there. I just want good stuff to happen. And so I'm fasting. You know, it's not even for health reasons, right? Like, you know, I was on, I was doing some research on fasting this week and there's a lot of like whatever fasting groups that talk about, you know, getting rid of the five pounds of toxic waste in your cells and how, how fasting does, like, it's not for that. It's not to lose weight. It's, it's, not, it's not for physical reasons. It's for spiritual purposes, for spiritual purposes. So I want us to see the joy that can bring us. So I don't want us to think this morning about fasting as something um, that's like just whipping ourselves in the back and making ourselves miserable. I want us to see it as something that ultimately is meant to bring us joy, to strengthen and to sharpen our love toward God to strengthen and sharpen our affections for Jesus. See, fasting in the scriptures expresses our desire for God and expresses our holy discontent in this fallen world in which we live. There's something that we want to see change. And it's directed Godward. It's a desire for God and it's, it's a discontent with the way things are, that we're not satisfied with the status quo. There's many forms of fasting in the scriptures. There's um, personal fasting and communal fasting. There's, so personal fasting is where, you know, I'm just doing this myself, communal. It's where the, my whole community is doing that. There's public fasts where, you know, we're doing that together out in public. There's private fasts where really no one even knows that you're doing that. There's congregational fasts. There's national fasts even in the Old Testament in particular with the people of Israel. There's regular fasts, as in, like, this time every year you're going to fast, um, or this time every month, or however, how, there's, there's a regular pattern to it, or occasional, just for this season, or just for this day, or for this purpose, because of this reason. So it can be regular and patterned, or it could be occasional. There's partial fasts, where, you know, like uh, Daniel, um, where he just abstained from certain types of food, for a season, and there's absolute fast where you give up all food. Um, now, you should say, practically speaking, usually uh, you still drink water, okay, hydrate. Um, and some, sometimes a fast, uh, especially if it's a little bit longer, maybe longer than a day, you'll include like juice as well. Um, but that's getting ahead of ourselves to the practicalities of it. 
So, but there's many spiritual purposes as well. I've listed a number of them on the screen here as to uh, what uh, some of the spiritual purposes we find in the scriptures for fasting. And all of them ultimately relate to, to prayer, to strengthen prayer. The, the primary reason and purpose for fasting is to strengthen our prayers, to sharpen the edge of our intercession, to give urgency to our prayers. And ultimately, actually, for a constant reminder throughout the day to pray for this thing that you want to see changed. Because I'm not sure if you've ever done fast before, um, but when I've done them, um, and I've done a a number of times, usually not for really longer than a day, but um, that day of fasting, it's like I am thinking about the fact that I am hungry all the time. In fact, in some ways, I cannot think about anything else after a couple of hours, that's a little bit of a window into me, after a couple of hours of not eating, it's like I, my inner monologue is, man, I'm hungry. Oh boy, I am hungry. I am hungry. And what fasting does is it trains us in, in our inner monologue. Whenever we think and we're reminded of that gnawing pain that I'm hungry, it's like, pray about this. This is why I'm fasting. And so it is a strengthening of our prayers. Um, a spiritual purpose of fasting is to seek God's guidance. When you have a decision to make, we see that in the scriptures, a number of points. There's a, a decision to make, you, and you want to walk in wisdom, you want to walk according to God's wisdom, you want to know God's will, you want to seek God's heart for this issue. You strengthen that, and, 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 and you, you seek him by prayer and fasting. Now, it's... It, what I think that does is it doesn't guarantee like an audible voice from heaven to say, marry this person. But uh, what it does is it, what, as we train ourselves, as we discipline ourselves in fasting and in prayer, we become more receptive to his guidance. We become more receptive. We, we, we're taking our will under control and, and bending it to his will. It's, it's often used, in fact, the, the first uh, four mentions of fasting in the scripture are all an expression of grief. Often over sin. Often over sin. And so it's re- related to whatever the number six there, expressing repentance or returning to God. Saying that I've sinned and I want to return to you. And so you're expressing that not as a way of making it up to God. Of saying like, man, I, I'm so sorry that I sinned. I better make it up to you. So I'm going to punish myself and... Like, we believe in grace, right? There is grace that forgives all your sin. Like, your sin is forgiven. Scriptures say, confess your sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin every time, even if you've done it a lot of times. He's faithful and just to forgive us. He's gracious towards us. And so it's not a a self-flagellation. It's not a, man, I'm going to punish myself to make up for my sin. But it's an expression of grief and repentance and saying, Lord, I want to turn. And this... And as, and, and as much as I want food right now, that's how much I want to turn back to you. And more than I want food, I want you. To, to seek deliverance or seek protection. We see that, especially in the Old Testament, as kings were approaching battle. And, and um, they were seeking God's protection from the enemy. To humble yourself before God. David, David is an example of this in the Old Testament, particularly in the scripture, that he would often... He says he humbles himself in fasting and in prayer. To overcome temptation, dedicating yourself to God, 
Maybe there's a sin in your life that is like continually tripping you up. You know, that there is a pattern in your, in your obedience that, man, I just, I just keep finding myself doing this. And maybe, and, and we see this in the scriptures, we see men and women fasting and praying about this. And that God brings deliverance from it that way. And ultimately, it's about expressing love and worship to God. So those are some of the spiritual purposes as to why we would engage in fasting from time to time or on regular intervals. I want us to note as well, you say, well, man, I, I just, if you, if you know your Bible a lot, maybe you're like, man, I don't feel like the New Testament talks about fasting that much. That kind of seems like an Old Testament thing. I want us to see actually that Jesus, who like brings in the New Testament, who like we center our lives around, um, Jesus assumed that we would fast. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus assumes we'll fast. He says, when you fast, key word, when, not if. And and now this is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Just before that, he says, when you give to the needy, just after that, when you pray, when you fast. Same level. Many of us have been trained for many years, if you're going to be a good Christian, you better give to the church and you better pray, right? So Jesus is putting fasting on the same level. When you fast, don't look gloomy like hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he even gives a promise attached to our fasting. But I want us to see that Jesus there is making a clear assumption that his followers will be people who regularly fast. He says, when you fast. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Next slide there. Then the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? You're like, ah, maybe there's a way out. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Referring to himself as the bridegroom. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus, as we know, died, rose again, ascended to heaven, no longer physically with us, taken away, and then they will fast. And what we see as the church, early church is born in the book of Acts, we see that Fasting becomes a regular expression and practice of the church. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, and on and on it goes. As, as Paul comes and, and needs to make a decision, he was coming to a town to appoint elders, it says he fasts and prays. The church is, is uh, strategizing about um, uh, launching global missions. That's Acts chapter 13. How do they do that? What's their great strategy? Fasting and prayer. And in fasting and prayer, the Holy Spirit said, set aside for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I've called them. Fasting and prayer quickly becomes and emerged in the early church. And so Jesus assumes we'll pray. Fasting is to focus our feeling and our expression towards God in prayer. And so that gnawing discomfort of growing hunger generates in us a reminder to bend our longing for food toward God. It's, it's meant to intensify our longing and our desires 
our cravings for God to work for Jesus and for a relationship with him. It's like a physical exclamation point at the end of the sentence, I want you this much, oh God. I want to know you this much, Jesus. It's like the physical exclamation point on the end of the sentence. Now, some practical things about fasting. Fasting is hard. It, especially for us Westerners, where food is everywhere. Food is everywhere. And it's like, you can't, I can't take my kids to the arena and without them saying, while we're sitting here, we might as well be eating, right? Like, we eat all the time. Food is everywhere, and you won't notice it so much until you start fasting, and then you'll be like, wow, I want to eat that and that and that and that all day long because food's everywhere, and it's become such a part of our culture. And so fasting's hard, and so what I would suggest is start small. What I, I wouldn't suggest leaving today and say, well, I've never done fasting. I'm going to try a 40-day fast, right? Like, don't, don't be stupid, right? Start with like maybe a meal. Like today I'm going to skip lunch. Maybe some of you do that all the time. That's not quite then fasting. So it's, it's a departure from your normal activity, right? Your normal routine. But maybe start with a meal. Maybe you can progress even up to a day-long fast, right? So Wednesday from Sun up on Wednesday to sundown, I'm not, I'm not going to eat. For a spiritual purpose, for a stated spiritual purpose, to intensify our prayers and our longings for that purpose. So start small. Plan what you'll do instead. Plan what you'll do instead. And here's an invitation to you. Um, part of the, the fast that I'm going to be um, participating in uh, during Lent leading up to to Easter is that is going to be uh, on Wednesdays and part of that will include not eating lunch on Wednesdays and so instead of that what I'm uh, proposing is that some of us maybe if if your schedule allows actually gather for prayer instead of lunch so noon hour prayer on Wednesdays maybe Wednesdays doesn't work for you that's fine we're not doing like a prescribed it's not involuntary it's voluntary but plan what you'll do instead. So if, if it's skipping lunch or if it's skipping dinner or skipping breakfast, like what are you going to do instead? And build prayer into your schedule. Again, this is not only for self-deprivation. It's to strengthen and intensify our longings and our prayers. Um, thirdly, consider how it will affect others. So fasting is not an invitation and not, not a license to be unloving. Right? You get hangry, so do I. Jesus, notice that Jesus, right, in the when you fast, says others shouldn't notice. Especially in private fasts, others shouldn't notice. So consider especially how it will affect others. And so consider your situation, your living arrangements, your work environments and whatever. And so pick a time where it will not, your fasting will not negatively affect other people. Other people shouldn't have to pay the price for your devotion to Jesus, right? That's like bottom line Christianity. Like it, it should be a good thing that you fo- you're following Jesus for in the lives of other people. And then finally, just remember to turn your, 
attention towards Jesus. Again, this is not just self-deprivation. That's not, there's a specific purpose. And it's meant to say more than I want food. It's to train us, to train our love, to train our appetites, to train our cravings and say, more than I want food right now, I want you, God. I want you. And so I want to end with an invitation to you to fast. Do you long for the glory of God to be restored in his church. I want us to hear the invitation from that passage Mark read to us from Isaiah 62. And he said, from, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For the sake of God's community here on earth, I will not keep silent. I will keep on praying. Verse 6 and 7, I love this, I love this picture. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. If you call on the Lord, if you pray, give yourself no rest. Be be constant in prayer, is is what he's saying. And give yourself no rest, and give him no rest. Like lay hold of God in prayer. And don't let him off the hook until he establishes Jerusalem, which is a picture, again, of God's people and makes her the praise of the earth. Do you long for this? Do you long, do you have a holy discontent for the glory of God's manifest presence in his church? Do you, do you want to see his power and his grace put on display in this world, in this church? If you would express any of those longings, hear the invitation to fast and pray. And so fast and pray, and when you want a bagel or a burger, stop and look to God and say, more than I want food right now, I want your glory to be restored in your church. In our worship time, uh, just this is fair warning, in our worship time this afternoon, or it shouldn't take that long, this morning, (laughs) in our worship time, there's going to be an opportunity for us to um, actually physically respond to God's invitation to us to be a fasting and praying people. And as we uh, have been praying about this series and, and knowing that fasting is really expressing a, not only a longing for God and for his glory and for his to know him, it's also expressing a holy discontent with the, the status quo. It's a discontent with the way things are. And what we want to see change. And what, what, what movement do we, are we longing to see? And so I want to, I want to share with you that uh, your elders and your pastors have we, what we believe is a holy discontent for the number of people that we see beginning to follow Jesus. We want more and more people who don't know Jesus to get to know him and to begin to follow him, and to join his church, and to begin to, to live out the message of Jesus day, day by day in this world. We're not content with the status quo. We want to see more people follow Jesus. We want to see lost people found. We want to see people for, be forgiven of their sins, and filled with the Holy Spirit, and begin a new life of discipleship to Jesus. And so, um, I'm going to introduce this in more detail in a little bit later in our, after our connection time. But we are starting for this Lenten season what we're calling the Grace Initiative. And it is an invitation for you to fast and pray for people to know Jesus. And so um, you'll have the opportunity to come forward and take one of these cards. Or you can write on it up here or you can take it back to your seat and say, 
for, the, for these next six weeks, I'm committing to fasting and praying for this person or these three people, or this is my commitment. And I'm going to fast and pray that God's grace would break into their lives so that they could taste God's grace. I'm going to withhold food. I'm going to abstain from food for this season, at this interval. This is my expression. And I am going to fast and pray so that these people could, could taste God's grace in a new way. And then place that in a prominent place where you'll see it every day and fast and pray every week or whatever it is. And pray and connect with these people and show love to them, not as a project, but just because they're your friends and you love them and you want them to experience the grace that has set you free. You want them to experience God's kindness that's been lavished upon you. And if they, if they see it in your home and we're like, why did you write my name down? It's just, we pray for our friends, right? We love you. We pray for you. We want you, like God's done this great work in my life and, and I just would want nothing more. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me, getting to know Jesus and being forgiven of my sin and having new freedom and new joy and new love and new affections. And so more than anything for you, I want that for you. And, and I'm not actually ashamed of that. I, that's would be my desire. Now, I still will be friends with you, even whether you believe or not, whether you whether become a follower of Jesus or not. I'll, it won't affect our relationship with each other. I'll love you no matter what, but you need to know I'm praying this for you. So that's, that's going to be an opportunity, and so we're going to take our connection time and gather our kids back up and connect with each other. We're going to respond to God in worship, singing, and prayer, but also there'll be a physical um, opportunity to respond, to come forward and, um, and to take one of these cards and, and join together as a church community and say we want other people to taste and see that God is good and experience his grace breaking into their lives. Would you join with me in prayer as we close?